Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Drivers! Start your engines! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect. When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host as we discuss this past week in racing and preview next week. Uh, first off, let me introduce you to the panel I have assembled tonight. Uh, with me, as always, Mr. Gray Warren from Richard Childress Racing, Mr. Richard Uden, and from IndyCar.com, Joey Barnes. How is everybody tonight? Doing great. Very good, thank you. All right, great to have you all here again. Like I say, it's the highlight of my week to talk to you guys, and Richard feels sad for me as always. But uh, yes, yes. <laughs> but uh, let's uh, let, let, let's quickly knock out the headlines. Um, sad news coming out of uh, today: uh, Sergio Marconi has passed away. Um, you know, we know him as a giant of the auto industry, former uh, CEO at uh, Fiat Chrysler, and very involved in the Ferrari team. So. Uh, uh, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with his friends and family and folks he knew. Uh, this past weekend, uh, IndyCar had the weekend off. Uh, Formula One was at Hockenheim, or Sebastian Vettel was leading handily and made a mistake in the rain, opening the door for Lewis Hamilton to come up from 14th to take the win. Uh, a lot of conversation we'll have about that later. And NASCAR <laughs> was in New Hampshire in a, another event that was plagued by some rain, delayed the, the start for a while, but at the end of the day, it was Kevin Harvick, Bumping and banging, Kyle Busch out of the way to take his win of the season. But IndyCar had the weekend off, and speaking of IndyCar, we have a very special guest in the studio. I'd like to introduce you to the race engineer of the number 27 Honda-powered Andretti Autosport machine that's driven by Alexander Rossi, Mr. Jeremy Millis, in the studio with us today. Jeremy, good evening, and thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. You forgot Napa. Napa. <laughs> always got to plug the sponsors yep and, and i'll tell you what that that, that, that blue and yellow uh napa livery is just beautiful and classic i've uh, been in racing a long time i know i've got a couple of um rossi die cast i've got the indy 500 winner but then when they come out with the new car it's well i gotta get the new car so but uh good looking car that you work on there but uh so i just wanted to ask you quickly you know about your background. I mean, were, did you grow up as a race fan uh, with designs on working in racing? 
um, when you grew up, or did you just kind of find that your particular education and training had practical applications that led you into racing? Um, so one of my uncles had a, uh, you know, a machine shop that built race engines. So when I originally started, I wanted to be a, an engine builder. So I went to a technical college and was like, I want to build race engines. And then as I was driving, I was in Lima, Ohio, and I lived in Columbus. So it's like 120 mile an hour or 120, <laughs> 120 mile, uh, drive each way. And I passed every day I would pass this, uh, Formula Atlantic team, which is like the feeder series to the IndyCar series back then. And I just stopped in one day and was like, Hey, you guys need help. And they were like, can you use a computer? And I was like, yeah. And then I started doing that for a while. And I was like, I don't want to build engines anymore. So <laughs> I went back to school and, <laughs> and uh, got an engineering degree and, and went from there. Now you've, uh, you've worked for, uh, Panther racing. Uh, you worked under John Menard. You were with, uh, Penske for a while. Um, most, re- yep. most recently before working with, uh, with the Andretti team, uh, you were with, um, Sarah Fisher and Ed Carpenter, uh, where you worked with Joseph, yep. Joseph Newgarden. Uh, that was your first gig yep. as the, um, as a race engineer. Um, so you've, uh, mm-hmm. you've, so you worked your way up from the bottom, so to say. Yeah. Um, I also did a stint with Bill Davis racing, uh, in NASCAR for a bit with Tommy Baldwin, but yes, you did. <laughs> had, I just, had, yeah, you, I had had enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I went back north. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember. I remember when you, I remember when you were there. Yes, sir. <laughs> I still talk to Tommy a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I talk Tommy too. Well, <laughs> <laughs> what a small world! You and Gray work together. Interesting, yeah. interesting. So, I'm sorry, I send you my most deep condolences. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now, yeah. so now, so you, you, so. You've worked in IndyCar. You've worked in NASCAR. Now, uh, now, Gray, Gray, you've got a question about um, how the day-to-day operations differ. Yeah, Jeremy, you know, you know how we operated in, in NASCAR and how how the, for, for lack of a better term, the bureaucracy kind of starts out. You know, with your crew chief and you got your car chief and and that kind of stuff, and it filters down. You have your shop foremans and things like that. You know, for our listeners out there, the uh, how does the IndyCar shop operate? Uh, uh, does it operate in much the same way as a NASCAR shop does? And also, kind of take us through a uh, a typical race week where you, you where you get back in the in the shop on Monday morning and you start preparation and to to go out for the next week. Um, I would say it operates. You know, it's just there's fewer people because we don't have to prepare as many cars. So there's but it operates in the exact same manner. Uh, we just have different titles. Like uh, the race engineer in IndyCar racing is essentially the crew chief in NASCAR, and the race engineer in NASCAR would be the assistant engineer in IndyCar racing, and then it just kind of goes on down. The car chief, crew chief kind of thing works exactly the same. Uh, are you responsible as NASCAR? Are you responsible for basically? I mean, do you come in with your guy, your setup guys? And things like that, and you're responsible for the for the setup that's going to go in the car for the for the upcoming weekend, and and all the particular changes and 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 what you're gonna the package you're gonna install in the race car for the for the week. Do you kind of uh, set forth that protocol and then send it down to your guys to 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 prepare the car? Yeah, uh, like I said, essentially the same as NASCAR. So I, I get together with my simulation group and. 
and my assistant engineer, and we, we get together and we run through, you know, first thing is look at what we did last year, what we tested, how we performed, and are we going to start there? Are we going to start somewhere different? And then we, we go from there and then run through as many simulations as we, as we can to get um, prepared for directions we might have to go because, as, as you guys know on the panel, that you might show up <laughs> you might show up with a car that you're expecting to understeer and you only have changes set up to or, mm -hmm. or picked out to uh, fix understeer and you show up and you're loose and you're like, oh boy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, you know, go through and we just come up with a, a, you know, list of ideas and directions to go and then we move forward from there. As far as personnel on the road, do you, uh, how many people, uh, uh, are you uh, under your uh, direction at the racetrack to, to take care of the 27? Um, probably, let's see, I'd say 15 or 20 total people per car in IndyCar. Um, okay. so there's, there's four mechanics, a crew chief, and there's a data acquisition engineer, an assistant engineer, a race engineer, race strategist, which is on my car is actually the general manager of the team as well. Um, and then there's, you know, the truck drivers and other, other pit guys, so. Okay. Now, I did want to ask you about the, the relationship between yourself and the race strategist who Rob Edwards calls the strategy on the car there. Do you guys confer very closely on, um, on strategy, or, or does that kind of just lie with him and, and you're more with the car? Or, or have, have there been any times you guys have just been diametrically opposed to what strategy you should run? Uh, I would say... <laughs> uh, I would say Rob's braver than I am most weekends. <laughs> so, so a lot of the strategy starts out with the race engineer and the assistant engineer. We do a lot of prep work and then we hand it off to Rob because he doesn't have as much time to dedicate to that because he's running the team, the entire team, not, not just the IndyCar side, but the Formula E team and the uh, supercar team in Australia and all that. So, so we prepare, you know, these are, these are what we think is going to happen. This is what we think is going to happen. And, uh, and then we get together uh, before the race, and we have about a 30-minute meeting with the driver and our engine tech from Honda. And we go over what we think is going to happen, and we go from there. But a lot of times, you know, especially especially road course racing, oval racing is pretty much um, a standard uh, strategy because you can get trapped by yellows really easy where you don't in road courses. So road courses it ebbs and flows a lot. So you just have to be ready to make a, a quick decision. So we are analyzing data live as we're, as we're watching the race, you know, what our gap is, where we're going to come out on track, which was what we call a ghost car. So we have a ghost car set up for where we're going to be on track. So if we're going to come out into like, you know, an open, an open slot between cars and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, now, now, Gray often mentions whenever NASCAR is on a road course that they work the strategy backwards. Is that is that similar yep. in IndyCar as well? I, I, the pre-event, yes. That's, that's how we do it. Like, you know, we're trying to – like, one of the things when we were doing Iowa, because the, uh, the tires had such a, a fall-off, it was how many pit stops are we going to do? And it was, well, if we do – an extra pit stop in here, our lap time is going to be this, and we'll actually get to the checkered flag 20 seconds before the car that does two stops or, or did three stops, however many, <laughs> the minimum. I think it was three, and we were going to do four. 
And uh, so it was, you know, oh, we'll get there 30 seconds before. That's if we can get through traffic as quickly as, as, as we predicted and if there's no yellows and things like that. So, yes, you start by working backwards and coming up with, okay, these three strategies seem to work, and then you kind of watch what's going on in the race to see which one you need to pick, I would say, is what, what mainly mm-hmm. happens. Excellent. Now, Joe, you've got a you've got a question, sir. Yeah, I was actually uh, kind of wondering. You've dealt with with Joseph Newgarden, and you've now you've dealt with Rossi for a little bit more than a season and a half here. Can you compare mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of what you see out of out of both of them from a feedback perspective? Like, is Rossi similar to Newgarden, or a little bit more animated? I mean, can you describe a little bit of that? Uh, yeah, like. I would say their driving styles are, are super similar. Um, like, it was really nice because, like, the kind of setups I developed with Joseph kind of continued to work with Alex because they're both, you know, they're both very hard-breaking, and um, they both, uh, like, even, even like, their throttle tip-in, you know, we have maps for how the throttle map come, tips into the engine. They, they both run very aggressive throttle tip-in, so they, they like to rotate the car with the throttle a lot, and so... Like it was very similar, and like at when I was at ECR, we were the only car that had that super aggressive throttle tip in. And when I'm at Andretti, we're the same thing. We're the only car that has a super aggressive tip, and everybody else is like this really digressive curve, and we're you know very progressive curve, and it's, they're really different. So yeah, I'd say they're they're very similar. Like Joseph is much more uh, I don't know. He's better on TV <laughs> than Alex. Because Alex is Alex is just as funny and great to hang out with as, as Joseph, but he's, you know, on TV, he's just kind of quiet and like, I just want to do my job and get out of here. So whereas Joseph's like, yeah, let's talk. And <laughs> so. Well, let me, let me ask you this one. Whenever you've got a guy like, well, like Alex, who for my money, I look at him and he's like a bulldog on a racetrack. I mean, that guy just, he's tenacious. He goes after it each and every lap. He, you know, he's giving it everything. Do you get, how, how anxious do you get on that? On, up on that box, uh, just whenever you see him, like St. Pete, when we see him at Detroit, I mean, how how tough does it make you, or how stressed do you get whenever you watch him try to tear through the field and make some moves that he does? <laughs> I, he hasn't. So, like, with Joseph, his first couple of years, we there was, there was a race in Brazil that we stopped because we had no more front wings. <laughs> and Joseph was really embarrassed at the end of the race because they came and gave him a trophy for the fastest race lap, but yet we had had to stop because we're like, we, we don't have any more front wings. You've hit everything. <laughs> but with Alex, I haven't had that yet, so I haven't ever had to, like, pull the reins back. I just, like, let him go. Like, he, like well, you're, you're, you obviously know what you're doing, and if you want to go highline and try and pass everybody, like, albeit, go for it. So. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, now, Richard, you've got a couple of questions. Um, yeah, one of the things that, um, you know, you, you see a lot in, especially where I come from in the Formula One world, is driver coaching from the standpoint. How much do you really have to do that? Or is it, you know, I, I often see it's the Formula One guys, they've got so many people doing everything that they're trying to hit every little mark possible and and some of this driver coaching goes a little bit over the top to my mind um is that something you have to do with the guys in indycar so when i was at ecr um well when i was at well we'll call it 
Sarah Fisher Racing, then it became CFH Racing, then it became ECR. <laughs> uh, so when I was at that group of teams <laughs> uh, and running Joseph, we had first we had Barry Waddell as a driver coach, and I, I give him a lot of credit for bringing Joseph to where he was. He like and, and myself, honestly, like. Mm-hmm. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. At that point, Joseph and I were uh, struggling too hard to make a car that was able to make the ultimate lap time, but it was way too hard to drive. So we rarely would transfer rounds in qualifying because Joseph couldn't do the perfect lap. But if he could, it was like, oh, yeah, we're fast. Yeah. So Barry kind of pulled the reins back on us and was like, you know, just give him something he can drive and let him go do his craft. And so we started doing that and we started having success. And then when yeah. it became ECR racing, we have Lee Bentham, who is also a super, super coach. <laughs> and he does a lot of other stuff, like he does dartfish and things for the yep. team. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, at that team we did. At Andretti, we have zero uh, driver coaching, so uh, I have to kind of step back into that rule, which mm-hmm. I don't really enjoy doing. I, I prefer having a driver coach, because especially if the driver is doing something wrong, I would prefer somebody else talk to him that way that yeah. you know we don't get yeah. any feathers ruffled between the two of us if i'm saying oh you're doing this wrong it's easy like, well you get just... in the car and drive it you know yeah that wouldn't work i wouldn't yeah. fit <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean I, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that about uh, jo- you know joseph being a very you know to start with putting the you know a complete lap together when i first started out in form one i was working with takuma sato at honda and he was exactly the same. Oh, I that guy was just <laughs> so fast. So, so fast. Yeah. If you and like one of the bravest guys. Oh, just a completely <laughs> crazy man. But if, if, you know, if you could qualify based on sector times, the guy would be phenomenal. But, uh, you know, it's interesting yeah. how, you know, learning that sort of craft of racing and that diligence of, of putting a complete lap together, it may not be spectacular and you may not get, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the the car going sideways as often, but I'll tell you, your spare parts guys are a lot happier. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Like, um, like uh, J.R. Hildebrand, I worked with him at Panther, and he he's one of those guys that man, there's there's always there's always really good segments, but it just never it never got put together to yeah. to to you know produce the right lap. And there's a lot of times, even with Alex we'll be at weekends and we'll be like going through the timing and scoring and we'll be like, Oh man, we're like seventh here. And like our best segment, we're second, but we're like fifth to seventh for everywhere. And I'm like, yeah, but we're, we're second. Right. So <laughs> like, no, 
the, the guy who's got three first also has a 15th down here. So, you know, we, we just got to stick with what we're doing and, and yeah. go forward. And I guess you sort of try and build that into the car setup a little bit as well, especially if you're, I guess, you're at some of these road courses where you have quite distinct, you know, setup of the track and, and sectors of the track. You've got to try and find that balance so that you're not really fast in one sector, but then that compromises, compromises the rest of the track. And I guess that's working with the driver's style and the driver's setup to try and, and find that balance. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there was a uh, a year with Joseph at Baltimore. There was a chicane on the front stretch, and Joseph yep. was a half second faster than any other car through there. But we were like twelfth in every other sector. But it, like we qualified like fourth. So we're like, okay, we'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of the things that uh, you know, obviously, uh, has been one of the hot topics in IndyCar this season. But uh, any chance that you guys are expanding your driver lineup next year? I mean, there's lots of rumors about the McLaren <laughs> thing and that, but <laughs> I have no idea. No, you'd be the last to and know. Then that, sure. that, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the rumor of Scott Dixon coming over, that would be yep. that would be pretty amazing. I'd love to work with that guy. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I heard a rumor today that uh, Alonzo was headed back to Ferrari now that Sergio was out of the picture. I'm like, wow, you wrote that fast. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but um, you know, now now that we're we're talking about this and, and the moves, I, I want to ask you, uh, Jeremy, about just like the overall health of the series. Um, there was a lot of optimism coming into this year um, with the new car, uh, new teams on board. Um, but then then we've got you know a couple of of you know kicking the pants things like Phoenix being dropped. Um, and things like that. But, uh, I mean, overall, uh, is the mood around the paddock and the garages uh, still quite optimistic? Um, uh, you know, the NBC deal for next year and whatnot. Um, uh, you know, what's everybody's, you know, kind of feeling about the overall health and, and well-being and future of the series? Uh, well, <laughs> there's optimists and there's pessimists and there's realists. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, I think everybody's really excited about the new TV package because I, it, it seems like they're the, they're willing to put in more effort than the former group did. So everybody's really excited about that. Um, I think from what I've read, the, the streaming rights aren't quite as good as the old old streaming rights were. So that that's a negative. But I think everybody's pretty excited about that. And then, I mean, tracks come and go. I I love oval racing. Man, if we could have street courses every single weekend, like we pack fans into them, and they're great events because I don't know what it is about racing, but racing in general is dying in my book. <laughs> like I, I watch everything, and everything's TV ratings are down. But but so is the NFL. The NFL TV ratings are down. NBA rate TV ratings are down. So so yeah, I don't know. I I guess to me, I kind of watch just how many people show up. Because I, I, you know, I can't see how many people are watching on TV, and and like a lot of our street course races are are crazy packed, and they're great atmospheres, and people can come and get their, you know, because people have a much shorter attention span these days, it seems like, so they can come and get their thirty minutes of IndyCar, and then they can go, you know, drink some beer and eat some hot dogs and walk around and, you know, have have a you know carnival atmosphere almost. Yeah. You bring up a good point there because I think the street, when they have the street things, they get the the town or the community involved and it becomes more of a festival type type atmosphere. And it probably does bring in, it's a once a year thing and they bring out uh, a festival of speed, if you will. They bring out uh, bring out the fans. 
Yeah. I mean, if you look at, like, I love airplanes, and that's my passion. <laughs> and if you look at, like, the Red Bull Air Racing Series, like, they go to Texas, and it dies after one year, and they come to Indy, and it's a pretty good show. But then they do the one, I think it's downtown Budapest, and it's, like, half a million people piled in the streets just watching them. It's, like, I think that's what most events, and I think that's what NASCAR needs to move move to as well. I think it would help them a bunch. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a whole new generation that is not as captivated by automobiles and auto- automobile racing as us older guys have been. You, you know, it's like, uh, my my son is 20. He's had his driver's license since he's 16. Still rides his bicycle everywhere. He doesn't want to own a car. He's not worried about it. But uh, there, and there's a tons of young people like that with these short attention spans. So I, I guess it's crafting the sport or crafting the event uh, to make it more palatable to the younger generation. And and to your point, these street circuits, you know, where there's so much going on, you can watch a little bit of the race or you can you go see this a live band playing in, in turn three or, or whatever. And uh, just, just to try to reach out to that, that new generation. And uh, sometimes I think races just need to be shorter. Now, not IndyCar races. It, the two-hour, I think the two-hour uh, uh, thing there works well. But um, now, Jeremy, I wanted to ask you about the IndyCar schedule because uh, my good friend Robin Miller often writes that that the the IndyCar schedule is absolutely grueling on the crews where they have this compressed schedule and these races back to back and testing in between. Um, and you're you're a family man, um, you know you've you know Robin writes that you're keeping these guys away from their family for so long because they don't have shop guys and road guys. But, uh, I mean, is it, is, is it that grueling? And, and is there a way to kind of fix that? Um, so having worked in NASCAR, I would say that we, <laughs> we spend, we, we, we work more hours than most of the NASCAR crews, but we do it for a shorter portion of the season. So, I think it kind of equalizes like, like we got back from Toronto and so we landed at like two o'clock in the morning, got home back at the shop at nine o'clock the next morning, you know, so I like got to bed at three, got to the shop at nine, worked until probably five. And then I came to my house and worked until probably 10 or 11 and then back the next day, you know, to kind of do the same thing from eight to five and then back home. And then I worked from seven to 11 at home. And then we got on a bus and we went to St. Louis at from seven. We got on the bus at seven in the morning, went to St. Louis, tested from one o'clock in the afternoon till 11 o'clock at night, loaded up at midnight, drove back home and got home at five o'clock in the morning <laughs> to, to go in the next day at uh, noon to get the cars ready for mid Ohio. So yeah, it's, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's fun though, isn't it? For that time, compressed time period from what, like, you guys start and, and of course, you have your your, all, uh, your preseason test at Sebring and stuff in late February, and then you start and start mid-March, and then you run through September. Obviously, that is, that's very, it is very compressed, but when it comes to the off-season, you guys have the longest off-season in, in, in most sports. And I know a lot of, of smaller teams kind of they 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 lay off people they 
furlough people and stuff. You you had the fortune of working with 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 one of the larger teams that has other interests. Uh, what goes? What do you guys do in the off season at, at, at Andretti? How does how does your off season compare to like you know NASCAR? We have a short off season where you know we work probably our, our busiest time of the year is from uh, Thanksgiving to uh, you know two weeks be, two three weeks beyond uh, Daytona. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, it's kind of the same. So I think the main difference between NASCAR and IndyCar is we just don't have as many, you know, as, as large of group, as many personnel. So when there's, there's only really one team, which I would say is probably Penske now. There used to be Penske and Ganassi that have the capability to do much development work during the season, except for like a little bit of seven post testing. Well, I mean, a lot of seven post testing, but no, no major part development during the season. Cause you just don't have the personnel at the shop to do it. So when our off season comes, it's bam, we're full mode, you know, to trying to develop the car to go quicker. Okay. So it's, 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 it's really busy. <laughs> so, okay, so like when I was at, yeah, your, your design and your your design and development ramps up after set. What you're saying basically after September, and you start doing your simulation and use the shaker rig and the seven posts and all that. The, all that stuff ramps up and continues through through the off season. Correct. Yeah. Well, we we still we still seven post test and wind tunnel test and all that during the season, but that that's as much as we can do. It's it's when we're in the off season. Mm-hmm. is you know product design so mm-hmm. we all we all learn how to use cat again because <laughs> right. we haven't used it for six months and then we start you know filling up the machine shop and backing them up and yeah so it's basically that it's it's all it's all design work in the, in the off season and i use you were saying that some teams you know uh, lay people off and i would say that i don't know of any teams that are except for teams that maybe might close their doors but I don't think anybody has the okay. ability to, yeah. to do that anymore, which right. is okay. a good thing. <laughs> that, is a good, that, is, that is a good thing. I mean, you know, we, I, I've heard where some team, you know, and, and of course I, I'm, I'm basing my limited knowledge on things I've read, you know, in years past and stuff. But, uh, yes, yeah, that, that is good because we had heard, you know, that some teams, some of the smaller teams that just didn't have the work and the capability would would furlough some folks during the uh, and then used a lot of contract labor and stuff like that during the uh, mm-hmm. during the season. Yeah. Yep. I'll tell you, there's there's been years when <laughs> when the team has talked when uh, the team is like offered or, or mentioned uh, maybe you know giving you a few mo- or two months off, <laughs> and it's like and it's kind of tempting. <laughs> 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 like no pay yeah i think i can i think i can swing that <laughs> but two months to just uh oh. <laughs> just now now joey you've got another question yeah um kind of i've talked to rossi and a bunch of other drivers about this because we have always been from the media standpoint we've always had to compare what the old kit did versus this universal aero kit but from a from an engineering perspective I mean, what are some of the challenges that, that you face in trying to get the edge whenever you have a, a universal aero kit that, you know, 1 through 24 on the grid has? I mean, how do you what, – what, where do you try to find that edge? Is it the damper program? Is it is it little mechanical things? I mean, what can you all do to try to get that edge every weekend? It's, it's tiny little bits in every single area and adding them up, you know, like – 
uh, the, the uprights that the tires actually bolt to, the spindle that the wheel bolts to, you know, finding a tenth of a horsepower there and then finding, you know, two pounds of drag in the wind tunnel and, oh, we were able to take three pounds off the car, so now we've got a better weight distribution. It's, it's adding, it's the sum of many minuscule changes is what makes you faster with the universal error kit. I guess, and then to that point, I mean, which do you enjoy a little bit more from an engineering standpoint? Did you enjoy what we had previously, or are you really enjoying what you've got now? Uh, I mean, I I think they're kind of the same for us because they're both still given to us, right? We can't we can't go out and design a new wing or anything like that. So for us, it's kind of the same thing. It's just both en- engine manufacturers have the same product now. So there's no there's no excuse that oh we're not going to be good at this circuit, but we'll be really good at this circuit anymore, right? So now you have to be just as good as everybody at every circuit. Whereas with the Honda Aero Kit. We were really good on super speedways and average on road courses and street courses and really poor on short ovals. Now we have no excuse and we have to be as good as everybody else all the time. So I think that's really the only difference to us because, you know, like I said, it's, it's given to us from the manufacturer before. So. All right, now, Richard, you got one more before we... Uh... Yeah, well, I've, got, I've got maybe two. Maybe sneak a third in there as well. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, so, one of the things that I found most interesting, and I guess I, I get this, and coming from the you know the Formula One background over in Europe, and obviously with your you know driver, it's a you know potentially a slightly difficult question to answer. But you're seeing you know more and more guys coming over from from Formula One. You know, I mean, you've had Takuma Sato, Rubens Barrichello, obviously Alexander Rossi, Max Chilton, guys like that. You know, come over and be successful. Um, Mm-hmm. And they're often sort of introduced as, oh, this guy from Formula One and all this sort of stuff. And I find that a little bit frustrating because these guys are, are they are either called the retired Formula One driver or a Formula One reject. And I still find that massively unfair <laughs> because these guys are all super fast. And when you get to the Formula One level, the IndyCar level, and NASCAR level, the, the difference between the top guys and the second, and you know, even the top guys and the bottom guys is, is so minute that it's you know, yeah. you, it's very unfair to turn around and call these guys oh, a you know a has been or whatever. And in a way, I wish that these guys would come in and people wouldn't talk about their Formula One background as much because you know they're drivers they're racers they're they're damn good at what they do on their own level and i think it can be a little bit disrespectful to these guys at times yeah i agree like um i mean there there are some guys who like max chilton i don't put him on the same level as alex i think i'd agree with that <laughs> right and and rubens was kind of on the downward swing of his yeah. career i mean he i came worked, over here and kind of yeah. kind of floundered but when you saw Alonzo hop in the car at Indy and in, you know, five laps, he was like right at speed and he came in and we were like, oh, why weren't you flat here? And he's like, well, my my foot wanted to be, but my brain was not ready for it. <laughs> you know? So, like, you, you, it's very, I, I, here's the difference. When I, when we work, having worked with Alonzo at Indy, the interesting thing about the very, very top drivers is they'll come in and tell you, very limited what the car is doing wrong. Like it's understeer, it's oversteer, period. Yeah. The guys who are just 
just a notch down, you know, just that couple tenths off. They're always like, we might find something that reduces understeer, but it's more uncomfortable to drive, and they won't deal with it. So they'll say, yeah, it was an understeer reduction, but it was it was a bad understeer reduction. Yeah. Whereas a guy like Alonzo will be like, yeah, it was understeer reduction. Bam, let's do it. <laughs> like, yeah. I remember, I remember with Alonzo, one of the things we, you know, at Indy, you kind of gradually trim out to go faster and faster, and he was like stunned at the end of the first day why we didn't just show up with the fastest car we could possibly do and we're like well yeah. it doesn't really work like that <laughs> no. and you've got and you've got you know a, a month almost to work through it rather than you know two half, two 90 minute sessions like having a formal one car yeah exactly right yeah um and it's so and you're you're on the edge more at indy than you are on a road and oh, street yeah. course like it you can save the car on a road and street course ninety percent of the time on an oval. You, you can't. <laughs> every so I guess uh, you know, Indy, every ten seconds, you're a blink of an eye away from sticking it in the wall, aren't you? At a pretty high speed. <laughs> yeah, um, and a and a, a hundred and fifty g impact. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that wakes you up pretty quickly, I'm sure. Um, another question I have is one thing I've always said, and especially you know, having lived over here for a while now, there are. One of the things that I think IndyCar struggles with at times is there are so many fantastic road courses, and especially road courses in this country. I mean, brilliant, brilliant road courses that IndyCar just doesn't go to, whether that's for financial or political reasons or whatever it may be. If you could pick any course that you don't go to now and you take an IndyCar to, where would it be to race? Yeah. Um, well, I'd, I'd go back to Watkins Glen. I love that place. Yeah. It's so fast and so high commitment. And um, I like Mossport. You, you said this yep. country, but wow. <laughs> Mossport again. Yeah, this, guy, this kind of Mossport. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. I'd have to think. I, I guess my thing was I love high commitment circuits like like Road America El- yeah. or uh, you know circuits like that mid ohio is for sure one um, yeah, and I, yeah i think sometimes when you look at some of these you know i think code is a great circuit out there in texas but it's almost you know with the way it's designed these modern formula one circuits it's just too anemic almost you know there's a guy can you know a driver can make a mistake and he just runs across a six acres worth of, of asphalt that doesn't really cause him any trouble and he gets back on and tries again you know, some of these circuits that yeah. you guys go to, uh, you know, you're in you're in a farmer's field if you make a mistake. And uh, <laughs> it's great to it's great to watch. I love it. And final question. Uh, I'm on yep. a, a sort of a, an enforced hiatus from motorsport at the moment. So if you've got any jobs going, you know, you've got Frank's details. Just, uh, you know, let Frank know. I'll, I'll give you a call. OK. <laughs> <laughs> it, it seems like we always need people like Indy, like IndyCar series, the that I don't know if NASCAR is the same, but it seems like the age of the workforce is really going up at a linear rate, like one year <laughs> every year. And it doesn't seem like there's young people coming in. So we're really struggling to, yeah. like it's, when yeah, they, yeah. when they talk about adding cars every year, I'm always like, where are we going to get people? Yeah. I like, <laughs> it's a very, it's a hard industry, isn't it? I mean, as you say, you know, especially for you guys, the, the sort of hours you work, I mean, that's all I've ever done pretty much has been motorsport. And at the moment I'm working for a, an engineering company that isn't in motorsport. And, you know, as soon as it hits four o'clock, that place is empty. And I'm like, yeah. you know, it, I just don't, it, it's, it's quite hard to motivate yourself when you've grown up in that environment and people who haven't worked in motorsport don't understand that, you know, they, 
the getting home at three o'clock in the morning after a test event or a race or whatever it is, it's exhausting. But you know what? It's so much fun in a very strange and perverse way. <laughs> it is. It's like well, it's the competition and it's the yeah. it's the team aspect that I keep because, doing. Like you know, I can't. I've I can't looked at getting out. Go ahead, sorry. No, I mean, I can't drive a car for, to save my life, apart from a road car. But, you know, so for me, as a, you know, I, I was lucky. I was able to combine my engineering background with motorsport, which was my, you know, something I enjoyed as a kid. So I've been very, very lucky to be able to combine those two. But, you know, as you said, the competitive edge of it, because you know if you're, if you're there till, you know, 10 o'clock, then somebody else is going to be there till 11 o'clock. Well, that's that's yeah. there's people there's people in the sport that work in the sport, and then there's racers. Yeah, and that's the difference. Yeah, for sure, for sure. That's oh. what I like. That when I said I come home and I work a few more hours, like this is the we just built a new house, and this is the first time I've ever had a home office. So normally I would just stay at work and work late, you know, really late at work, and now I can come home, and it's like my favorite thing to do is like come home, log into the VPN, and just get back into it and. I yeah. Really, uh, yeah, really, a lot of people yeah, don't understand it. that. It's a very, yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's a very, uh, it's a very strange lifestyle that people live in racing, but it's uh, it's quite addictive. Um, yeah, no, it's good fun. Uh, Jeremy, you have been a great guest tonight. Um, you know, now IndyCar is off to Mid Ohio, which is pretty much your home Grand Prix right there. You're uh, from, yeah. you're from Ohio. Um, you've probably been to the track as a kid. Um, I, word on the street is that you grew up in the hood in Ohio. <laughs> yeah, uh, although Ro- although Rossi said Rossi says that uh, you think you're hood, but you're not. But uh, anyway, <laughs> so uh, I, generally what we do, we always make picks for the race. And um, I, who, who do you who do you like, Jeremy? You, you think maybe that Rossi kid's going to win him in Ohio? I I think we have a good shot. We didn't test there, so I don't know kind of where our performance is. It was one of the tracks we we chose not to test at because we were pretty pretty strong there last year. Um, but if you look at the recent tests coming up, it looks like Robert Wickens he he had a half second on the field at the last test, so it looks like they'll be pretty strong. So yeah. and, he deserves and Dixon a win, I think, was Dick. Yeah, man, that guy's a masher. <laughs> yeah, I like him a lot, and it's funny because him and Alex keep running into each other but like literally 10 minutes afterwards they're like oh what are you doing this weekend and they're like you know off and chummy again so yeah the, oh, the media try to make something of it don't they and uh, if you ask what the drivers really think a lot of the times that you know well i think it, they're they? they're angry for they're angry for a few hours right and then it's like ah whatever next one so because probably you know, if the roles were reversed they'd have probably done exactly the same thing Oh, for sure. <laughs> That's so, it's so funny because last week our guest was um, James Hinchcliffe's James Hinchcliffe brother, Christopher, who wrote the book uh, Chasing Checkers, and he was talking about uh, Wickens, who he's known since he's like ten years old. He's like, "Oh, Robbie said this, and Robbie said that." I'm like, "Okay, I've never called him Robbie, but uh, thank you for that." So, but um, yeah, <laughs> Wiggins will be good in Mid Ohio. So will Rossi. Um, and let's go throw around the panel quick. For a pick, uh, Gray, who you like for uh, Mid Ohio? How can you go against Scott Dixon? Uh, you, you work for yeah. Alexander Rossi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and yeah, and he wasn't he he had two massive crashes at the last test. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. So, and they weren't they weren't fast there last year. They finished ninth there last year, I think, or eighth there last year. So, yeah, that's yeah. Old Gray, isn't it? Damn, there you go. 
There you well, go. I mean, All right. He's, lead, he's leading the points, and he's won there more than anybody. So yes, gonna, yes, he has. That, sure. That's a that's that's a good pick, Gray. Richard, who do you like? Who do you like from Mid Ohio? Um, I'm going to say Joseph Newgarden. Always a good pick. Yeah, Newgarden can win any day. Joey, who you like? Uh, well, first off, I'll say that it's nice to have Pietro Fittipaldi come back after oh, yeah. his injury. He's coming back this this weekend at Mid-Ohio, so yeah, it's really good yep. to see. Uh, that said, um, Jeremy, thanks for coming on the show. It's been fun. But I'm going to have to go with Pietro's teammate, Sebastian Bourdais, this weekend. Another, <laughs> another good pick right there, but I'll, I'll just go out on a limb, and I'll go with Rossi. Uh, just because I like Jeremy, I, I think. Yep, I think you've uh, you've got this down. So, um, uh, but you know, Jeremy, thanks again for coming on. But let let us let you go. I know um, you 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 know you're busy. You probably want to get back to the to the laptop or get back to the family. So, uh, uh, just let us know where we can follow you on social media. Uh. <laughs> I'm not really on it. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Facebook so. account. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I, I, yeah, I noticed your last tweet was in 2016. <laughs> so, but but we, but we can follow. We, we can follow the team. You know, Andretti. Yeah. Andretti on track, right? Or we can follow. Uh, yeah. Yep. Alexander Rossi. Um, IndyCar.com. <laughs> you can uh, catch up with stories there. Uh, some of them written by Mr. Joey Barnes. So. Uh, Hey, social media is overrated, man. That's all I can say. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, I, no, I don't so. think I could control my tongue. I'm not that good at it. So. <laughs> I've had to delete a number of things. That's all I can say. <laughs> I can't afford the fines. <laughs> so, uh, Jeremy, I've enjoyed catching up with you, and I, when I see Tommy again, I'll, I'll give him your regards. Yeah, and Slugger, if you see him too. Oh, I'll see him. He's Hello, got. He's got. Slugger. He's got a. He's got a gig with Toyota now. So oh, Slugger's living the good life right yeah, now. Yeah, I think. Oh yeah. Right oh, yeah. He's, he's doing all the NHRA stuff for Toyota, so I imagine he's in Sonoma. Oh, this is weekend. he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah I run into him from time to time. I see Tommy about oh once or twice a month. So, uh, yeah, we'll uh, yeah we'll let him know we we caught up. <laughs> all, right, all right. Well. I well, guess. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks again for coming yep. on the show. Uh, again, guy Jeremy Millis from uh, Andretti Autosports. Uh, keep your eye on that twenty-seven car, um, the championship contender for sure. If not this year, certainly next. So, but uh, Gray, right. Joey, you guys want to talk about uh, Formula One next, or you want to you want to talk about the NASCAR? Who cares about NASCAR? <laughs> uh, Gray does. He works for them. Or he works I mean, with them, yeah, so. I cash my check every week, yeah. <laughs> so, look, um, yeah, we'll talk, we'll, we'll, we'll do the NASCAR, really not a, not a lot to talk about there. Um, we went to Loudon, and again, uh, the big three, as they've been called, um, pretty much came to the forefront again. It was, it was all about Truex, Harvick, and Kyle Busch. And it ended up to be a pretty exciting finish there at the end. Uh, yep. uh, Kyle Busch had the lead, and Harvick was able to chase him down and give you use the old bump and run to uh, to get around. I think bumped him know, a few times just to let him know, hey, uh, you know, I'm coming. He had to, well, you know, <laughs> Kyle knew it. Kyle was backing up the corners, trying to stay ahead of him. He knew what was coming, and and basically it opens the door for for return. Uh, uh, in a, in a race down the road somewhere, and we'll see it. But but uh, good racing. I mean, I want I, you like to see good aggressive racing and guys, you know, getting up there and racing for the win. And and that's what that's the show they gave us. 
much like uh, the show we had at Chicago between Kyle Larson and Kyle Busch. So, yeah, well, I like it when it gets a little bit feisty like that and uh, ended up being a good race. Um, but, again, like I said, the dominance of the big three, Harvick, Busch, and Truex, they, they, you know, the cream rose to the top again. And, of course, the race got got off to a little bit of a rocky start with the rain delay, but uh, they were able to get the whole race in, and um, and, it, and it was good, and that's the kind of finishes we need to see, and we'll, uh, we'll take that and move on to Pocono uh, I, this coming weekend. I tell you who really impressed me, uh, big three aside, was, uh, and he's impressed me all year, would be Eric Almarola. I mean, Absolutely. I, he he went in there this past weekend, led a bunch of laps. I actually thought he was going to get the win, but I think that goes to show also just the level of just where they are as an organization because top to bottom, there's not a weakness at Stuart Haas Racing right now. There's not a weak link in a driver and an engineering perspective. You know, when you see what they've been able to do, uh, especially with Ford, I mean, this is only their second year with Ford, mm-hmm. and we see what they're doing. They're putting everybody else to the woodshed from an organizational standpoint because top to bottom, Gibbs isn't running like this. Hendrick's not running like mm-hmm. this. Chevy is starting to find their footing with this Camaro finally, but and we're starting to see good results out of Chase Elliott, and Jimmy Johnson's starting to look a little bit like Jimmy Johnson that we're used to seeing. But I, I tell you what, it's going to be really difficult if they can somehow manage to get, and they should. I mean, they're 16 entries in the playoff system now, which is way too much when you run 35 cars every week. But there's going to be all four of those guys in the in the championship playoffs, and I tell you what, it's going to be tough to bump any of them out because I feel like the further along we go, especially with guys like Almirola and Clint Boyer who are still kind of new to that organization, mm-hmm. the more they develop, I think that we're going to see this organization continue to take leaps and bounds forward. And, I mean, I would not... I don't think it's going to be an all-organization Final Four. I, I think that right there would just be crazy. But if there is one organization that you could look at and say maybe, I, I think that especially when you look at the fact that Harvick and maybe even Clint Boyer and Kurt Busch could already punch their ticket if they continue to reel off playoff points, then really it's just on Al Marola to go out there and get the job done. And I think that it's certainly not out of the realm of possibilities uh, with this organization. They could realistically put two in the in the final four. I mean, to go along with uh, with with the Joe Gibbs and a and a furniture row entry. That's that's yeah. that that's someone else to join Harvey. But you're you, absolutely right. Uh, Amarola ran good, and I think you know, and, and Bush. He's probably he got his third, what his third or fourth pole of the year. Uh, Kurt did, and he looked he looked pretty strong there for a while. And and both of those teams, the 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 forty one and the ten, are on the cusp of of winning races. You're, you're exactly right. And, you know, top to bottom, they are the strongest organization in the sport right now. Richard, you had a question? Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you point there about, um, you know, Stuart House Racing there. I mean, you're right. They've got, you know, no weak links in their lineup right now. Almirola's come in there and he's adapted to that setup and that organization pretty well. My only comment would be, do you, if you compare them to a Hendrick, you look at Hendrick and they've got, you know, obviously Jimmy is the sort of elder statesman of that team, but then they've also got three, you know, pretty young guys who are obviously there for the future. Would you be concerned about uh, Stuart Hass's sort of long-term setup? I mean, because 
I don't know the exact age of the drivers, but I know, you know, Harvick's in his 40s now, isn't he? I think Boyer's probably getting up there. Um, Kurt Busch is probably late 30s. Um, Almirola's, what, early 30s? Uh, mid, mid-30s. mid I, yeah. I, see, I see where you're going with it. Here's what I'll say, though. Um, when you have that kind of feedback, you would have thought that Hendrick, with the group that they have in place, could have fed off of setups and, and development work that, that Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt Jr. had left there and, you know, that, that William Byron could kind of pick up. Granted, this is also the transition with the new car, so maybe sure, if there's yeah. Cole Custer comes in and if he's the next in line for a cup opportunity, you know, if one of those guys retires, you kind of wonder, well, if we end up with a new Ford, which I believe is, is in the yeah. – it is coming – it kind of makes you wonder, like, are they going to struggle just as much? Yeah, That's I think, it. I think uh, you know, Hendrick and all the Chevy teams have struggled. They've had a double hit this year. They've had, you know, the new uh, Hawkeye system and the new bodywork, so there's no datum for them to work off. You know, in the past when a new body's come in, they've always had the old setup and the old, um, um, you know, rule system to, to, to play off. You know, it's, it's carried over from year to year. Or if they've had a new method of inspecting cars at least they've had the same bodywork. So they've been hit, I think, pretty badly by having those two new things come along uh, at exactly the same time. I don't think you're going to see the drop-off with the new with the Mustang in the Cup Series when, when, when it arrives that you saw with, with Chevrolet. I think with the, the, the commitment that Ford has made into the sport in the last two to three years, I don't think they're going to get flat-footed like, uh, like Chevrolet did. I think they're going to... They may miss a slight beat at the beginning of the year, but I think they're going to they're going to be more prepared and going to have their ducks in a row. And I think one of the things that and we've discussed this at the shop, Chevrolet they worked on that Chevrolet Camaro for two years prior to its introduction, but they were working off what they presume were going to be the rules at that time as they as they went along. One of the biggest things that has hurt the Chevrolet is that car was designed to run with more of a splitter uh, and, and, and running the old rules with the splitter that we, we, we used to run. And NASCAR changed the, changed the downforce rules as that, as while that car was being developed. And I think that's one of the things that's caught Chevrolet somewhat off guard. And they're having to catch up in, in that respect. So, well, you know, it just it remains to be seen what... You know, if if Ford as they as they put this Mustang through the through the thing, and basically from the nose back, the car is not going to change a whole lot. Uh, from you know, so uh, I don't see Ford being caught in the same situation that Chevrolet was. Well, uh, here's what I'll say about this before we move on, because I know we we don't have much time left. Is the splitter and coil binding are the two things that, in my opinion, have hurt NASCAR the most because they've what that's what's made the racing maybe not as good as it could have been because you don't get with that. as much development work and and you don't get as much from an engineering standpoint for input from crew chiefs. But that said, I think a lot of this comes from the strength of the lineups that Chevrolet possesses versus Toyota and Ford, but it also comes not just from a driver lineup, but what they also have in-house when you look at crew chiefs outside of chad canals it's hard to really look at another chevrolet crew chief as elite yeah but you go and you look at toyota and you look at ford i mean you could rattle off about five or six right now for ford and you can do the same thing with toyota i think a lot a lot of that strength doesn't come necessarily from just the car itself and and the lack of feedback that drivers are giving 
it also comes from how adaptive those crew chiefs and car chiefs are becoming with this car. And, and I think that's really the biggest hindrance for that Chevrolet progress. And a lot of that, too, with the, the things you just spoke about, the lineups that each that each uh, manufacturer possesses right now, a lot of that comes from the manufacturer itself and the commitment that they're able to put in because they have a huge, uh, you know, so they, they put a lot of money into these programs. And, I mean, and, and let's face it, money brings brings in talent and and and, and people well, in there too and, so and yeah, it's also that. it's also easier though for for ford and for toyota because outside of nascar they don't really have a huge commitment anymore to another realm of motorsports exactly i mean when you look at chevrolet i mean they're, they're an indy car they've got a lot of, of stuff in nhra they're they're quite developed when it comes to like ford is with imsa but beyond that it's um you know, there's there's not much there now. If Toyota and Ford could could dabble a little bit in IndyCar, we'll see how much commitment they really want to put in NASCAR. But if they don't want to go play with big boys on a on a big Indianapolis 500 track, then I don't. That's I, true. I mean, they put that, all their money that, in NASCAR. That's right. All their eggs are in one basket, so to speak. So, all right, guys. So we um, we've only got a couple minutes left to talk about the Formula One race, but let's real quick go around the table. Uh, NASCAR, we're heading to Pocono next. I'm going to go ahead and pick Ryan Blaney and let you all have what's left. <laughs> True. Um, yeah. Richard, Richard, you said Truex? Yeah. All right, Gray? Uh, i got to go with Harvick. He's been strong there the last few races. Harvick's been on fire this year, yeah. Joey, who do you like for Pocono? Kurt Busch. Kurt Busch. Kurt Busch could use a win this year. You're darn right. So, um, With that being said, Richard, so Formula 1 was at the Hockenheim ring this week. Uh, Lewis Hamilton had a... Phew. Lewis Hamilton had a, through grid penalties and poor qualifying, started 14th, ended up on the top of the podium at the end of the day. Uh, Vettel had a mistake that was all of his own doing. Um, by his mm-hmm. own by his own account, um, he was gifted and, to Hamilton. If we're being honest, oh, yeah, I, 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 mean, I mean, call it what you want. I don't think that Sebastian Vettel was wrapping a gift for Hamilton when he had a mistake or made you know, a mistake. No, Toto Wolff so. was when he said Volteri don't challenge. Uh, okay, yeah. Well, okay. So I let you all talk about it. Go ahead. I mean, I think you look at the the, the three races that had gone previously in. Um, you know, Mercedes had the dominant car all three of those races and didn't come out with the most number of points. Then you look at, uh, you know, this weekend in, in Hockenheim that's just gone, Ferrari, you know, had the quickest car, but they didn't come out with the most number of points. So certainly uh, the last four or five, you know, three or four races, you've seen a scenario where people with the fastest car have not been achieving the optimum results. Uh It was purely weather-induced at Hockenheim. I don't think that if, if I think if it had been dry... Uh, Vettel would have walked away with that race. Um, I don't think that uh, you know he would have made that mistake in the dry. One thing that I do want to raise is the lack of penalty for Hamilton and for what he did. Uh, to sort of give you a brief overview of what happened, they were uh, in the pit stop cycle or in the pit window when the safety car came out after Vettel's accident. Uh, Kimi, I believe Kimi pitted, so... As literally as Hamilton was entering the pit lane, he aborted and, and went across the grass and rejoined the track. Now, that is against the rules. It clearly states that uh, you know, a driver must not 
into the pit lane and then enter, you know return to the track post um, you know without driving through the pit lane. Um, for him not to get a penalty and purely get a reprimand, I think is is pretty poor, and not you know with a totally neutral hat in it, not a, 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 a sort of a four against Hamilton in any manner. You know the rules are there. The argument that the reason he was given a reprimand is because it was under a safety car and it was low speed. Well, yeah, but if you drive through a red light in your road car, you're driving through a red light. It doesn't matter how fast you're going. Yeah. Um, rules are rules are rules. Exactly. And I mean, in NASCAR, if you come down, if you pass that commitment code and jump back on the truck, yeah. you will get pen- penalised for it. Right. Commitment so, violation, and, and they stick it to anybody. They and you, I think you've got to. I think he got away very, very, very lightly there. Um, and, I mean... In reality, you wouldn't do that under normal racing conditions. That wouldn't come around. So I don't think the justification for not penalising him and saying that, oh, well, it was because it was under the safety car and it was low speed, nah, doesn't really wash with me that one. I think that was a slightly politically motivated... Uh, yeah, um, yeah, you're right. The, the rules need to be black and white. I mean, it's, it's right or it's wrong. It's, it's a penalty or it's not. It's not, oh, well, because it's rainy or because it's slow or because it's Lewis Hamilton... Yeah, so I agree with you. Well, yeah. Kimi got the Kimi got the same penalty in Azerbaijan last year, I think it was. Now, you know that is a far faster pit lane entry at uh, at Azerbaijan, so you know you could. But again, you know, you've got to set these things in stone, and it causes confusion amongst the fans. It's like, well, hang on, you know, it'll, why su- did, it'll uh, suck if that's the championship right there. Well, you it, could say that about anything, couldn't you? You could say, you know. The penalty that Vettel got for hitting Bottas in in, in uh, Paul Ricard, you know, or any of these penalties that they they get thrown at. Um, you it know, just seems that it was arbitrarily enforced, and and, and that's the that's the look at it. Has. I, I like that they're looking at the variables because that tells me that they're trying to take each situation uniquely. But whenever you have similar situations and they're not called consistently, that's where it's a little bit more skewed. And and I feel like, I mean, this is. This kind of feels like Bernie all over again, doesn't it? Uh, with, yeah. Eh, well, you kind of get something, but maybe you don't get anything. Yeah. Oh, Verstappen did a double move. We're not going to penalize him. He does a double move to his teammate, and I love Daniel Ricciardo because he doesn't care if if Verstappen does a double move. He's not letting off off the second move. No. That's why they've collided so many times lately. Um, it just, yeah, it, it's totally. And I mean, it's it, it, it's 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 the whole. You've got to set a precedent. And the rule is there. The rule is black and white. Don't. You know, there's no sort of interpretation of the rule there. The only problem with Formula One is the penalties are not consistent enough. You know, you should have it that if if you hit another driver in an avoidable, you know, avoidable contact, you get a 10 second penalty. Not a well, it depends how hard it is because that's when it becomes open to interpretation. That's when you can get bias. You know, if you have a rule and somebody breaks it, this is your penalty. Not, you know, don't try and have staggered penalties because it just creates an unknown for the fans. Yeah. What's the next Formula One race? Uh, Hungaro ring this weekend. Okay, so we got we got a, we, we got yeah we guys got about fifteen seconds for picks before we have to get off the air. So uh, I'll start with you, Gray. Who do you like for Hungaro ring? Vettel rebounds. Vettel rebounds. Joey. Kimi, because Ferrari's not going to let Sergio Marchionne's death go without a win. But but not Vettel. Okay. Richard, who you well, like? I, he, it was he, Gray already picked Phil. I, I gotcha, I gotcha, yeah. Ricciardo. All right, so um, that leaves me Lewis Hamilton. Um, you don't want to take a Mercedes at Hungary. I mean, that car is not built for that track. No. 
Okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take Max for stopping then. I'll take Max for stopping then. But uh, I'll tell you who I won't pick is uh, Lance Stroll, whose daddy evidently is buying him his own Formula One team, if you believe reports. But uh, we'll talk about that more next week as more information comes in. But uh, until then, I want to thank you, Gray, Richard, Joey. I want to thank our guest, uh, Jerry Millis, for coming on. Tonight, I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network and iHeartRadio and all you folks that tune in to listen. And we'll talk to you in a week. Good night. Enter website. Enter website. Enter website. Enter website.